You're listening to episode 24 of the Becoming Aligned podcast. Welcome to Becoming Aligned, where we'll step away from the busyness of our days to explore what it looks and feels like to create meaningful lives that align with our personal values. My guests have found their own unique way to navigate through the distractions, the pressures, and the expectations of everyday life. And in the process, they've discovered the freedom to be truly themselves, to tune into their own heart, and to honor their own unique voice. I'll explore what motivates them, what challenges them, and what strategies help them work towards their goal in a way that nourishes their mind and body. I believe everyone has a story to share, and then we become a stronger community when we're able to listen and learn from those around us. I'm your host, Maureen Ryan, the founder of Ryan Wellness, I'm a Chicago-based self-discovery mentor and Pilates instructor. I hope these conversations will serve as inspiration and as a reminder that it's not about perfection, but the process of becoming aligned. In this episode, I talked to Cliff Lyles. He is such an example of what you can accomplish when you accept that failure is a part of life and learning and ultimately growth. He's someone who has built his sense of resilience because he's not afraid to put himself out there and try new things. In this episode, he shares more about his personal story and about an amazing adventure he's preparing for that will take place in September. It's something called the Eco Challenge that's making a comeback this year. And he's organized the first African-American team to take part in this event. He tells us more about this mo- his motivation for doing so, and he has so many insights to share. So let's get to it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cliff Lyles. Hi, Cliff. Thank you so much for being on the Becoming Aligned podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Not a problem. Excited to be here. Yay. Oh, I'm just looking forward to our conversation because the last time I saw you, you were telling me about your experience as an ultra runner, and I just found it fascinating. And you're also someone who is a chef who has traveled extensively and I believe has also lived in other countries. I'm not sure if I have that part right or not, but I think I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've lived in three other countries. Okay, cool. Yeah, you just had this really interesting journey in this this story, and you strike me as someone who doesn't let the expectations of others or society stop you from doing the things that spark your curiosity. And I would just love to talk to you more about this throughout our time together. So hopefully you're up yeah, for that. <laughs> I'm totally up for that. Yay. <laughs> it's a great day. I'm full of energy. So yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So before we dive into those topics, can you please start us off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, I am an ultra marathoner, but I do other sports as well. So mountain biking, kayaking, and things like that. So um, I'm a former Marine, mm. a chef, and a father of four. Wow. Aw, how old is your oldest? 27. So, wow. Yeah, she's an adult. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then your youngest, what's the age range, 27 to? Uh, just over 10 years. Uh, so the youngest one is 16 now. Okay. All right. Aw. Yeah. I, I forgot that you were a former Marine. How many? How long were you in the Marines? Um. Well, you know, actually, I didn't do the typical stint right out of high school like most. I'd actually gone to culinary school. I'd gone to college. So I joined at 23. Four, turned 25 in boot camp, and I was a reservist, so I did the six years reservist. Um, so yeah, it was okay. a great time. Wow, wow. Now, you grew up, you grew up in Indiana, correct? 
Yeah, in Indianapolis. In yeah. Indianapolis. So right there in the, yeah, right in the middle. Right. And then, so you went to high school, and did you say from high school you went to culinary school? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, I kind of did a roundabout. I actually came to Chicago and went oh. to college there, uh, went to Columbia College downtown in Chicago. Okay. Uh, did that for a couple of years, and wasn't quite in love with it and um, had always worked in kitchens and cooking. So mm. got out of school and figured I needed to do something, you know, that I was passionate about. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Cause what were you going to school at Columbia for? You know, Columbia is pretty kind of like your general liberal arts. Uh, my goal was to kind of be an attorney. Um, okay. You know, I like to talk, like to debate. So yeah. that was kind of a thing that adults said, oh, you should try this. And not knowing any better as a kid, I followed their lead and went into it and realized that as interesting as a career as it was, it just wasn't for me. Got it. But you had this like interest and in being in the kitchen and, and you said that's something you had always done. Is that something like, did you grow up being in the kitchen and being a part of cooking meals? You know, I did. You know, the, the story that I like to tell is that my mom was a horrible cook, which she was. <laughs> so I kind of had to learn really early on so you know I got to the point by you know early teens I was already a better cook than my mom it was just something I enjoyed wow. doing so I stuck with it oh wow okay so now that we're talking a little bit about you being a, a young person I would actually love to hear like what were you like as a young person like what did you what kind of activities <laughs> what things would you get lost and absorbed in oh man um you know I was kind of a I was a dichotomy. It's like I was mm. on the outside. Most people saw me as a typical jockey. You know, I played football. I wrestled. I ran track. I was captain of all the teams. Okay. But at the same time, I was a photography buff. So I was in the dark room all the time. So that was the place that I would go to get away from the world. And I was on the debate team. So ah. I kind of crossed all the different lines. So I had the artsy group. I had the smart kids. And then I had the jocks. So I kind of floated between group to group. And you were able to do that seamlessly then, huh? And that like... Did anyone give you like a hard time for, you know, being, you know, kind of the jock, the stereotypical jock in a sense, but then also doing photography and debate? Did people give you a hard time for that? You know, I think to some degree, I'm sure they did. No one ever did it to my face because, <laughs> you know, I was the captain of the football team and the right. wrestling team. So, you know, no one ever said it to me, but I'm sure there was the murmurs in the background. Oh, I love it. So you had like this really full experience of it being involved in different activities and what what kind of opened you up to to being involved in those different types of things? Like what what made you drawn to, for example, photography? You know, it was really the people that drew me to it. I, mm. I've always been the type of person that I love having people who I can learn from. And so that tends to put me in crowds of people that are similar and different than myself. So, you know, I kind of just stumbled upon a group of people who were studying photography, you know, as I was in sports, they were always doing the the shoots of the games and stuff like that. And it was just really intriguing. Yeah. And befriended one and then ended up in, you know, photography program and, you know, did two and a half years in high school and a few years in college doing photography. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I was actually just watching a program the other day, and I think it was actually the guy who did Creative Live, um, or who has that? He's a photographer, right? And he was talking about his life as um, playing soccer. I think he played collegiate soccer at some point. And he didn't you know, get drawn into photography um, until he was older because it was like, if you're an athlete, that's what you are. You know what I mean? And so like he was this fear of maybe um, having this artistic interest or you know, not, not feeling that you could follow that path. It's like there's sometimes I think these stereotypes that we have. So I love that you kind of bucked that kind of early um 
And did that just come seamlessly and naturally to you? It sounds like it might have. Or were there things that kind of opened your eyes, um, open, like, you know, to these different possibilities? You know, I think it did come naturally. I've just always been a very inquisitive kid. And I've, you know, I, I've always considered myself a dreamer. So I never mm. really put barriers or constraints around what my interests are, things that I do, or, you know, things that I'm interested in. So if there was something that drew my interest, I would, you know, dig into it and see if it was something I actually enjoyed or not. So mm. yeah, I think it was pretty seamless to kind of transition. And it was, you know, it was fun to be able to start it young, because it's something I've been able to carry through my entire life, with just being able to say what else is out there that I want to try or do or learn and just continue to do that. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that kind of uh, approach is what so, you know, maybe brought you to culinary school. And tell me a little bit about that experience. You know, culinary school was amazing. And, you know, mm. I think the photography was really a good catalyst for me to get into it, you know, because, you know, in photography, you're studying composition, you're studying structure, you're studying all these different things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, food was, I enjoyed eating. So that was kind of the first <laughs> part that got me into it. Um, and never really thought about it as a career because I had never seen or knew anyone who did it as a career. So it was just kind of like, okay, this is a job you have. Um, and so as I, you know, started uh, college, as I said earlier, it just never had that spark, that passion in it. Got and it. I... Went to culinary school. I moved out to California, came to San Francisco, and went to culinary school, school here. And I kid you not, within the first three to four weeks, it was the light bulb went on, the wow. emotions, the passion, the excitement that I wanted to have for what I was studying was there. Um, huh. And so every day it just became this, this you know, I had like these private cooking shows, I had these amazing chefs teaching me these different things, and I could do it myself. And, you know, so I had all of this different experiences that really just fed different parts of me it's super competitive so the sports side you know Mm. athletic side was taken care of it was creative so the photography side was there you know there was the constant learning in the back and forth and being around different groups of people from different cultures you know growing up in the midwest and all of a sudden being in the west coast where you know the level of diversity was so much greater than anything i was used to so all of those things just kind of tied into things that i had laid as early groundwork throughout my life and just kind of fit perfectly Oh, I love it. So it's just like this light bulb moment or all of a sudden as you're as you're in these classes, they had to feel good. Like it had to feel like, okay, I'm in the right place now. I've I've I'm in where I'm supposed to be. Is that kind of how you felt at that time? Yeah, it was exactly it. It was it was one of those things where you're like, this is it. This is what I this is the <sighs> feeling that I've been waiting for. Uh-huh. And it was just kind of like this huge weight that was lifted. But at the same time, there was just this level of excitement to like now be able to dive into it. Yeah, and like master, I can, so I'm imagining you being this athlete and someone who's, you know, obviously competitive and wants to know their craft, that you just really were motivated at that time probably to master the craft and learn as much as you possibly could. Um, Yeah, so so how long is culinary school? Like, what's that process like? You know, the schools are slightly different. Where I went was pretty intense. So it was two years, five days a week eight hours a day. So it was basically a job. Okay. Um, and so you kind of went through different levels. So, you know, your proverbial, you know, freshman, junior, senior term, since it wasn't a year. Um, and then you just learned through different curriculums, different specialties from baking to pastries to, you know, garmanger and all these other things. And you just kind of really figure out what resonated most with you um, mm. from a, you know, a culinary and a chef, you know, aspiring chef and an artist, which mm. medium fit your skill set best. 
And so as you found those, you were able to work with different chefs as you progressed, learn different styles, different techniques. And to your point, as soon as I started getting into it, I couldn't get enough. I was going mm. to school full time. I was working full time. I was everything I you know, did at school. I was practicing, you know, um, in my job because I, you know, I got a job as a private chef. So okay. I would create dishes that I was able to learn in school and try and master and perfect the techniques necessary to do that. And so it was just an amazing, you know, two years of very intense, you know, study. And then even after that, I worked two full-time jobs for almost two and a half years after that. Wow. Just constantly, you know, working and at, at my craft and trying to get better, you know, get more efficient, get faster, you know. And so it was just a great time. Now, you, you mentioned that you would kind of find the styles or where your niche was. What, what did you discover for yourself? You know, over time, it was it kind of evolved. You know, I, most of us that went to the school I went to got into fine dining. So okay. We Michelin star styled restaurants, and so for me, that's where I started. And I started what you would consider hot lines, so your traditional restaurant style chef. Okay. So that was where I was at for the first few years, and while I enjoyed it. I didn't like the repetition in it. There wasn't mm. enough challenge and creativity. So, um, so that part is where I started, but eventually led myself into kind of like hiring catering just because there was constant change, customer requests, you know, um, you know, wanting different things at different times. So just being able to transition yeah. into that over the years. So you like, you like to have your, add your own sense of creativity into what you're into the menus, into what you're creating and, and making for, for people in terms of the food that they're eating. Ah, interesting. Now, yeah. so what does, uh, how did the military fit into this? You, you went after culinary <laughs> school, right? Is that what you said? Did I you? did. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that two and a half years of, of two jobs that I was telling you about, yeah. I was so burnt out. At yeah, that okay. Just, um, you know, working and learning and just constantly going. Um, that I was just burnt out. And um, my dad, who was a Marine, um, you know, was really ill and we didn't know if he was going to make it. So out of tribute to my dad and you know, at a point in my life where I needed to take a step back and reassess things, mm. um, I immediately, you know, went and signed up for the Marine Corps Reserves. And, you know, like I said, for me, it was going to be a tribute to my dad because I didn't think he was going to make it. But at the same oh. time, it just ended up being this amazing learning experience for me, uh, you know, that just, you know, kind of added on to the skills that I'd already been developing as a young adult. Yeah. What, what skills did you, do you feel you walked away from that experience with? You know, for me, it's, uh, you know, I'd been in sports my, you know, most of my childhood and early adult life and mm -hmm. just really getting to the point where being a leader, understanding the difference between being a good teammate and being a leader, yeah. um, understanding how to lead, understanding how to, you know, put yourself second in order to promote your team and the cause and the things that you were doing and just being selfless. So yeah. really understanding the importance of that and, you know, the proverbial no I in team type mentality, mm -hmm. but taking that to the point of being a leader where you can actually stand back and cultivate and develop talent and, and put them in a position to be successful in their careers. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I heard you say there was like an opportunity for you to reassess. So was this like also yeah. you, you stepped away from, you know, the culinary world there. Um, your dad's also, you know, you're, you're worried about his health and whether he's going to be able to make it. And this is a tribute to him, but it's also, is it, a, is it allowing you to kind of step away and get a new perspective? Was that something you were looking for with this experience? It was, yeah. You know, it was really, you know, 
getting to the point where as much as I loved what I was doing, I think there were still questions for me about where in the industry did I want to be? Did I mm. still want to remain fine dining world? Did I want to go a different route? Because the school that I went to was at the time one of the top three or four schools in the entire country. Okay. So the way that you were drilled, you know, very similar to the Marines is you're drilled to be the best. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't do catering at the school I went to. You were you were trained to be a Michelin star chef in one of the best restaurants in the country. And so working that and understanding that it wasn't being the fit that I needed it to be. And so really needing to step back to say, okay, if I don't become this Michelin starred chef and I'm in this fine dining restaurant, am I a chef? Who am I? So it just really yeah. was questioning that. So that time away was very important to really understand that someone else's definition of what a chef was, <sighs> mm-hmm. was not my definition nor what I needed to be. Mm, that's good. And that opportunity, it just gave you the space and, and to, to allow you to come to that on your own. Is that that space and being involved in, in the military and the Marines, that's kind of helped solidify that for you. Am I understanding it that did. right? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it was definitely very pivotal in the sense that it's like getting that space was important because, you know, the, you know, seeing the forest for the trees sometimes, hmm. I was so deep into what I was doing. Yeah. It was hard to make the distinction and the difference of, you know, what was existing and what I should be doing. So that time is really vital. Yeah, two full-time jobs, you know, working and going, you know, like it seemed like you were on like a very fast-paced track there. Um, yeah. And it's it's funny because when I think of chefs, maybe it's just from the TV shows and things I've seen, <laughs> but they don't <laughs> always, like they're working long hours and late nights sometimes and having a healthy yeah. lifestyle is like, is not, doesn't seem to always be, a part of it. it seems like you really would have to work to create that for yourself. And you seem like, you know, you're an athlete and like, were you able to create a healthy lifestyle for yourself when you were in that world? Or did you have to kind of find a way to define that for yourself later on when you started being the chef on your own terms? You know, I was fortunate enough because I, you know, my being healthy and being active and being an athlete was just just so ingrained in who I was. Mm-hmm. It was easy to avoid the shortfalls and the pitfalls that are in the food service industry and being a chef where you're out late, you've got a high population of people who are, you know, using and or addicted to drugs yeah. and or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, I was a young father, so I didn't have one, the time or the financial resources for any of those things. Right. Um, so what I ended up doing after a long night of working long hours at a restaurant, um, there was a 24 hour fitness near the kitchen. And so that cost me $20 a month. And oh. so what I would do in order to kind of burn off that adre- that adrenaline that I had been pumping all night in a kitchen, yeah, I went to the gym for an hour or two and just did what I, I've always known to do, which is to work out, which is exercise, which is to blow off steam or whatever it is. And then I was able to go home, sleep, hmm. and have somewhat of a healthy transition that a lot of people in the industry just did not have. Yeah. That's a lot of – that's, you know – that discipline as an athlete, is that what allowed you to do that? Because I can see that – it can see people getting pulled in other directions and kind of staying true to their own, you know, what's best for them. It's, it might not always be easy, but I guess like you said, right. you did have a young – you know, you, you were a young father at that point in time too. So is that what gave you the extra incentive to to stay on that path? You know, I think it was twofold because, you know, not only did I have that discipline and that, that regiment of, you know, taking care of myself physically, but mm-hmm. I had been around people who had, you know, 
you know, were using drugs. You know, I grew up in a very mm. poor neighborhood in, in uh, Indianapolis. So okay. I saw the effects of that lifestyle and I knew that it was never something I wanted to be a part of. So I think it was those two. I think if it had it not been me being experienced to it throughout my early life and seeing the consequences of those actions, I may have been the typical, you know, early 20s and say, oh, I'm going to try this. It's fun. Or, yeah. you know, I'll try this once, whatever. But since I'd lived around it, I, I never even went there. It was never an option for me. It was never a second thought to not do that. So it was. I think it was both of those things in play. Yeah. Wow. Um, you mentioned like that you've decided like what your vision of being a chef was going to be or how you wanted to be in the industry. How did you begin to make that happen for yourself? So you're you're coming out of the military now or, the, you know, you're ending your time with the Marines and you're you're moving forward. How did that, what, what did that look like? You know, well, when I was in the Marines, it was, it was part-time. So I had the okay. flexibility. I did a year of active duty. So when I came back, I had the reserve duty of one week in a month, two weeks a year. So I was pretty okay. much within a year back into the mix of being a chef again. And so for me, it really came down to, in all honesty, I did the old school pros and cons list. You know, uh-huh. I wrote down the things that I loved about what I did. And I wrote down the things that I just didn't. And once I did that, it, it kind of painted, painted a, a clear picture for me to what things I should be pursuing if I was going to stay in this industry. Mm. And what those things were, were a level of creativity, a level of autonomy, um, and an opportunity to learn. One of the things that a lot of people don't uh, see or realize in the food service industry and being a chef is it's an old school business where people expect you to pay your dues. Mm. and it's re- not really about your talent and your ability to, you know, learn things quickly, to grasp things, to perfect things and move on. And so I didn't really care for that old school pay your dues mentality. And I felt that I had the skills, I had the intellect and I had the ability mm-hmm. to do more sooner. So mm-hmm. I started seeking out opportunities to do that. Um, so worked with different restaurant groups that were, um, they didn't, you know, balk at the fact that I was in my early 20s when yeah. I had chefs that were in their 30s and 40s that I, I felt and they felt that I could technically work circles around. So it was a matter of creating that list and then searching out those opportunities to get to where I wanted to be. Wow. That's, I mean, so you're in your young, your, your early 20s as this is going on. Yeah. And this is like just, yeah. it strikes me as such like a confidence in, in your abilities and a knowing of yourself when I hear you talk about that. I know Maybe at the time it was a little bit more confusing, but it seemed like you had a really strong instinct about what it is that you wanted, what your values were. Did, did you have a mentor or someone that helped guide you to that? Or was this something that you just kind of knew strongly within yourself? You know, I, I, no, I didn't really have a mentor, unfortunately, but I think it was just something I, I just knew strongly about myself. And, mm. you know, I realized in my, you know, days of competing in sports that I wasn't afraid to fail. Um, and I think that's one of the big hindrances that a lot of people deal with is wanting to make a step to make a change, but a fearful of not being successful at it. You yeah. know, and in most all of my years of playing sports while I was a fairly accomplished athlete, the teams that I was on were not very good most <laughs> times. So so winning was not necessarily the goal when I was out performing and playing yeah. sports. It was really developing myself, putting goals in front of myself, trying to attain those goals, and then pushing hard in order to achieve those. So that fear of failure wasn't really there as much as I think a lot of people deal with. Yeah. Oh, that's so good because that it does. It's just become such a stumbling block for so many of us. And so you had just learned that 
you know, I can put myself out there. If I fail, like I'm going to pick myself back up and try something new. Is that just kind of your approach is kind of kept moving and staying focused on, on your goals? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, part of being an athlete, I think that's exactly mm-hmm. what you deal with all the mm-hmm. time. You know, you're, you're running a race and you're like, okay, I'm going to train this way because I run a run this fast. And then you do that training and you go out and you run and it's still not quite there or yeah. you do something wrong and it goes the opposite direction and you go back to the drawing board and you draw it up again for the next one. And so just living that entire life, you know, for every sport, you know, every day from seven to 20 in my early twenties, yeah. it was just ingrained that it's like, okay, you go to the drawing board, you draw up a plan, you, you just try to execute that plan. If something in that plan falls apart, you, you take out that piece that fall apart, you put in something new and you try it again. Yeah. And so that's just been what's worked for me. Oh, I love it. And so you've been a runner since, since high school, it sounds like you start like, is that when you first started running? Yeah, actually, even earlier, I was, oh. um, I think it was probably like nine or 10. I was fortunate enough that in Indianapolis, um, Wilma Rudolph, famous, you know, yes. three-time, Olymp- you know, three-medal Olympian, mm-hmm. came to Indianapolis, and she started a, uh, a track club. And um, one of my coaches, oh. I was playing football then, said, you know, you should really try this out. You're, you know, you're pretty fast, and literally fell in love with it. So, but back then, I would run the 100, 200, and 400 meters. Okay. <laughs> it was a really fast kid, and but one time around the track, I'm done. That's all I do. Yep. Now things are quite different. It's always so interesting to me, like, how people make that change. So that's that was you in your younger years. How, in high school, were you also doing the sprints, or were you, were you moving yeah. up a distance yet? Okay. No, no, no. Still the sprinter then. Yeah. So when did you cross over to doing more distance? Like, how did that become a part of your life? You know, I think it was just out of necessity. I think as I got older and I would say I didn't really start getting into distance until my late 20s. Okay. Um, and I think that was partially the Marines kind of took that that cap off of my brain of saying, okay, this uh, is what I can do. Got it. Um, and I was wild and we're carrying 40, 50 pounds on our back and we're hiking up mountains for 20, 30 miles. Yeah. And in my mind, I got to the point in my late twenties, I'm like, okay, well, if I can do that with that much weight on my back, I should be able to run a marathon. Yeah. Um, and then that was the goal. Let's run a marathon. And so did that in my late twenties was my first one and just kind of like, okay, now that's been accomplished. What's next? Right. Okay. So it wasn't like, let me do another marathon. Were you looking for bigger right away? Or were you like looking for some other challenge? Well, I looked for other marathons because I wanted to get faster. So the okay. first thing was like, okay, now I know I'm capable. Yeah. How fast can I do it? Yes. Right? And yeah. so it came down to that. And then from there it became, okay, I've done this enough. Now what next? And so just kind of like you said, you know, said earlier with the sports, just, you know, you've got the plan. Mm-hmm. I can keep the plan. doesn't work. Go to the next thing. And so while I got to the, you know, wanted to run a certain time, I got to that time. I wanted to run a Boston qualifying mm-hmm. time. I did. Awesome. And, you know, that was the last time I ran a marathon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when, was, when was that? When was your last marathon? Oh, my God. My last marathon, um, it was the year my youngest daughter was born. Okay. So, so 2002, 2003. So okay. there was my last. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We just had the Boston Marathon just take place yesterday, too. So that was timely to be talking about. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So what was your next What was your next challenge then after you're like, okay, I want to do – like I, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish with the marathons. What right. was the next um, thing that sparked your interest? Well, there was a couple things. So um, 
I had started in the meantime of training for marathons, I came across this sport called adventure racing, something I'd seen on Discovery Channel. Oh. And it was this multi-sport race. Okay. And yeah, it took days and days. And I'm like, okay, that looks crazy. And I first time I saw it, I'm like, these people are crazy. Who would ever do this? Yeah. Um, by the fifth day on the series that was on Discovery Channel, I went out and found the first race I could. So wow. I started doing that as part of training for endurance and distance starting probably back in the late 90s. Okay. And so once the marathons left, I'm like, okay, I've got a great base for endurance now. Now let's see where we can go with that. So I actually started racing pretty competitively from up until around 2009. So I've done multiple races around the country, and I've done a couple what's called expedition races, which are races of over 400 miles and up to 10 days. Oh my gosh. Um, and you're on the team of four. So I've done two of those and I'm about to do my third one this oh, year. Oh, wow. Oh, what's, yeah. what's the one you're doing this year? What's it called? Um, it's actually just come back out of retirement. It's a, a race called Eco Challenge. Eco Challenge. Um, so okay. Eco, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the same one that I saw back years and years ago, um, I've put together a team and, um, you know, we're scheduled to be the one of 50 teams that are going to be racing this year in Fiji. So oh 12 goodness. days, 400 plus miles of jungle and water, basically. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. So I can only imagine what the training for this would look like. And even just, I'm thinking about you putting together a team and what, what, yeah, how did this all come together? And are you kind of the one that's organizing <laughs> all of this? There's a couple moving pieces, yeah. it seems like. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, I, as you know, as you can see, I'm kind of I wouldn't say extreme, but I'm very goal oriented and very yeah. ambitious. So, yes. um, in 2006, when I did my last ultra, the last expedition length race, which is was we did about eight and a half days in Moab. Wow. Um, we were fortunate enough to be one of the featured teams, so we camera crew followed us for several days until one of our teammates fell out of the race. We raced on for after we raced on to the, until the finish and finished. But at the end of that race, the first thing that I wanted to do after my body healed and I was, you know, to the point where I was thinking of race racing again is as an African-American, I, there's not a lot of endurance, ultra endurance athletes. Yeah. So I would go to ultra marathons and things like this, and I would be the only guy. I would go to yeah. adventure races and I'd be the only person. So my goal in 2006 after that, it was I wanted to put together the first all African-American team to race in an international expedition. Race. Awesome. And so when I found out Eco Challenge was coming back, um, I, I, I you know, had already reached out to a few people and I'd been tracking over the years. Every time a big race would come up, I would check through the photos, see if there was any person of color that was yeah. there. I'd reach out to them. I'd welcome them to the club of finishing an <laughs> expedition That's race awesome. and would stay in touch. Yeah. So, and I had this little group that I'm like, okay, if ever if there's a race that comes out and they come out of retirement, <sighs> I've got some people in play. Um, and unfortunately, all of those people were, you know, just not at a point in their lives where they could race. So got I actually it. had to search from the ground up to put this team together. And so we were fortunate enough to be selected um, and we'll be racing in September in Fiji, uh, competing in this race. Oh my goodness gracious! I I love this. I so <laughs> I, your incentive, like you know, to bring in you know all African American or you know bringing people of color together to be a, a team. The, was that just to show like, hey, we're we're a part of this too, and to be for people to see that was that was that kind of part of the yeah. incentive for you? Okay. Oh, it definitely was. You know, for me, I, you know, I, you know, I, 
I would have probably enjoyed this sport had I known about it sooner. Yeah. As a kid, you know, because it, it, it was right in my wheelhouse. While it seemed crazy, you could do these smaller races and you could build up to these if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But it was just about getting outside and just being active, which I very much was as a kid. And so for me, part of this is just showing kids that there's other things you can do other than being a football player or a basketball mm-hmm. player or, you know, one of the major sports that you do. You can get outside. You can be active. You can be healthy. Um, mm. and, and it could lead to something if you want it to. And if not, you're, if you're not a professional at it, it's still something you can continue to do throughout your life to have a healthy, well-balanced life. Oh, I love and that. And so for, the, for me, that was, yeah, it was very, you know, it was part of that and just showing other people of color from other cultures as well that, yes. you know, we, we are a part of every opportunity. Um, yeah. And Oof. I think the more that people of color see people like themselves doing these types of things, the more interested they are in trying it themselves. So that was the, you know, the real catalyst for it all. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so amazing because it is. We see, what we see other people that are similar to us, you know, maybe as a woman or, you know, a person of color, it just, it gives us, you know, motivation. It, it like lets us know it can be done. You know, you hear so many stories of people being inspired when they see people that look like them. And yeah, and so you didn't have that for yourself in, in the racing world, I'm taking it. Were you the first, like, did you see other people of color um, when you were doing your racing? When you were first entering this all. world? Not at all. Yeah. No, no, literally. It, it was, it got to the point where I'd raced in, you know, throughout the U.S., I'd raced in Canada, I'd raced in Mexico by that point. And everyone started to know me, one, because it's a small community, <laughs> yeah. but I was the only African-American guy doing it. Mm-hmm. So whenever there was a big race, they were going to, you know, it was like, okay, Cliff's here, you know, yeah. so there you go, check, the, the guy's here. So, but for me, really wanting people to see that while some of us were the ones who started it and we were kind of the, you know, the ones who kind of paved the way for some of the people who have come along and started to do it as well, for them to see an entire team yeah. of very capable, athletic, talented athletes mm-hmm. that are lining up at the start line, not just the one guy or the one girl anymore. Yes. Ah, that's so awesome. Okay, so this is coming up in September. So you've got you've got some time ahead of you, but I imagine the training <laughs> I imagine the training is is already begun and yeah. um yeah, what does that look like? How does that fit into your into your life and your world right now? <laughs> um, you know, I I'm fortunate enough that Serene, the love of my life, yes. is a super patient woman and my work has been very supportive, but it, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, I've got several races that I use. I find that I can get in better shape if I'm racing my way into shape uh, is what I like to call it. Yeah. So I've had a few ultra marathons earlier this year. I've you know just completed a 50 K a little while ago. I've got a hundred K in May and then I have a 200 mile foot race um, in August, which is okay. kind of a multi-day, multi, you know, um, endurance piece. So it's a nonstop 200 mile foot race. And that's kind of my last big one before, um, I head off to, to, um, Fiji, but in that I'm still doing a lot of, you know, mountain biking I'm doing a ton of kayaking, you know, just all the different things that I have to do. Cause you do everything mm. from mountain climbing to kayaking to, you know, all types of different things in these races. So it's not just a one dimensional thing. Okay. Yeah. I think in my brain, I just go to like more ultra running and I'm just thinking of you running this whole time. I'm kind of forgetting. <laughs> I think it's just like the runner in me. I'm just forgetting about all the other aspects of this. So you are kayaking. Like, do you, you know mm-hmm. what you'll be doing ahead of time? Like, like, like there's a, a route I imagine that you follow or is it like get from this point to this no. point? Any which yes. way you can. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. 
Got they it. basically give you a map, and on the map, there's the areas marked that you have to get to. And so the race right now is scheduled to be 13 days through the jungles and the open oceans of Fiji. Oh, my goodness. And so what will happen is we'll get a map. Um, I'm the navigator, so I'm the one who's going to have to get us from point A, B, C to D, E, F, G. Okay. And using just a map and a compass, that's the route. So if we choose to go right and another team chooses to go left, but we still get there, that's the choice we made. Uh... But if you choose right and you don't get there, then you're kind of done. That's the end of your race. So, okay. um, so there's a lot of opportunity for error, but it's, you know, there's no GPS or anything like that. You're using an old school uh, compass and a map and, you know, an altimeter so you can try and figure out how high or low you are at different times. And that is about it. Wow. Okay. Now there's three other people on the team with you. There's a team of four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so team of four, um, always a co-ed team. So we have oh, awesome. uh, one female team member. Yeah. We got one female team member uh, and three men. So yeah, team of four. How did you, um, how did you like find the people to be a part of your team? Like, are they all, do they live in the same area? Do you guys train together? <laughs> how does that all work? No, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a pretty good internet sleuth and I <laughs> literally looked high, low and sideways. Um, the funny story is one of the guys who I actually did get to get on the team, um, Chris, um, Chris did, um, the same race I did in 2006, he did in 2015. And as I said earlier, uh -huh. I would reach out and welcome the people to the club. Yeah. And I reached out to Chris on Facebook and, you know, tracked him down, figured out who he was, sent him a message, but never heard from him. Okay. And so when this race came back up, I'm like, okay, I really want to get a hold of this guy. I kind of remember the race. I went back. I, you know, stalked the website again. I found his name. So literally everyone on the team, I literally had to find. Um, so there's Chris. There's Corey. Corey is one of the top rated ultra marathoners um, in the U.S. right now. Oh, so wow. doing amazing. Yeah. So I reached out to him, told him this crazy idea I had about putting the team together. Yeah. He immediately was like, I'm in. Count me in. Um, Chris, when I finally got a hold of him, same thing, count me in. Mm. And so our female team member is, and so Corey's right outside of Chicago. Oh, cool. And our female team member, Sam, is in Chicago. Oh, really? And Sam is, and yeah, Sam's an ultra, ultra endurance mountain bike racer. So wow. she actually is raced from races where she's riding her mountain bike from Canada to Mexico. Holy cow. So. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, I was looking for people who, you know, who weren't afraid of the extremes of the race, but at yeah. the same time, less about being afraid, but people who just truly enjoyed challenging themselves, you know, being a part of the community and wanting to, you know, change the face of the sport and kind of how people look at um, ultra endurance racing and people of color in those spaces. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have a team name? We do. Yeah, we're Team Onyx. Team Onyx. Okay. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, because that seems like, um, like, obviously, it's an intense, it's an extreme event, but being with, you know, others in that situation and navigating the terrain and and all that, the, you know, if you go the wrong way, like, if the whole team doesn't finish, you don't count, yeah. right? Is that how it goes? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One person drops and it's, yeah. So finding people you can really, like, work with and depend on and... That has to be an interesting kind of gelling together of people, even though you're you're all kind of far apart. Like, do you do team things together? How does are you able to fit that in? How does that work? Yeah, we do actually. Sam oh, was wow. just out for um, on the west coast. She went to this big bike race um, that was out here in Monterey. So we okay. spent some time training together. Um, I've been to Chicago, met up with her. 
Corey, who is the ultra marathoner, is actually in South America racing um, over the last month or so. So he'll be back and he'll be actually in the West Coast um, next month. So we'll spend some time together. Chris just got finished doing a race in New Zealand last month. So he's still recovering, but we'll all start racing and training together starting June. So we'll start kind of, you know, I'll be traveling to the Midwest. Chris will travel to the Midwest since Corey and Sam are already there. We'll do some training and some racing there, and then we'll head to the East Coast and do some as well. So, yeah, oh. we're, we're piecing the team together. We're building the relationships now. We're building that, you know, that those bonds that we're going to need. Yeah. In the middle of November. Oh, I love it. Okay. And you guys, oh gosh, I had a question and it just went out, but I, I know what it was. This, this idea of, like I'm listening to you describe what everyone's up to right now. And like, you're not doing something like this unless you're, you're really in, you know, and yeah. uh, that you, you really have to love it because it's time consuming. It's, it's something that, I mean, I've, I've, you know, the longest thing I did, I've done marathons, but you know, running marathons, it, it, it's time consuming. And so this is a whole other level and you have to really love what you're doing. What is it that you, that really draws you in? What like pulls you into these types of activities? You know, I would say at the beginning, it was kind of wanting to truly understand my limits as, mm. as a person. And, and one of the things for me, you know, the thing that thing that has driven me the majority of my life is, you know, everyone views success differently. Some yeah. people think, okay, when I'm rich, I'm successful. When I've done this, I'm successful. When I've been there, I'm successful. And for me, you know, what I've come to learn for myself is success for me is feeling like I've actually lived up to my potential. Um, and you know, my potential is, you know, in a lot of different areas, you know, professionally as a chef, you know, um, you know, living in other countries and, and, and being able to do that within my profession, you know, mm. you know, and for now athletically being able to see how far can I push myself? What are my physical and mental limits, which is very mental in these, these mm-hmm. races. Um, so that was the, the thing that got me into it at the beginning was really wanting to understand what are those physical and mental boundaries that I have while trying to live up to, you know, my, my potential. Yeah. And so in my mind, I had always imagined that at some point I would come to this, this chasm, this abyss of just my existence where I would get to the edge and realize, okay, this is it. That's all you're capable of. And the Uh, rest is just beyond you. And I never really physically have ever gotten there. And so that used to be what it is. But as I'm older, it's less of a, I think the testosterone levels have dropped a little bit more, so it's less about that. And, and what I realized is when I was racing and when I was pushing myself, it changes how you see everything else. Because everything is about perspective in life. Right? Yep. So if you're dealing with something hard, but you've dealt with something much, much harder, that hard thing isn't as hard anymore. Yeah. Right. So for me, at this point in my life, it's truly understanding that I've been blessed to have a very fortunate life. I've got a healthy family, you know, I'm I'm trying to live up to my potential, which would be a lifelong challenge for me, Mm -hmm. but really just kind of understanding, you know, this pursuit of trying to accomplish this. Some people would think crazy task is really truly just about understanding my potential as a human, my potential as a person, but at the same time, just allowing myself to be strong enough to endure the things that I know I'm going to have to face in the rest of my life. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think, like, especially in sport or in athletics, they just have a way of really um, showing us how we overcome our challenges, um, you know, showing us, like, when we're faced with them, like, how we react and how we respond and, and, you know, how we learn from those things. And, 
yeah, what what's something that you've learned about yourself? Like maybe even like through the tougher times or when things didn't go, when things didn't go, maybe it's planned. What was, what were some things that you, you've learned about yourself throughout the way? You know, for, uh, and I think some of the things I've learned about myself is that I will never give up. Mm. You know, I think I'm wired to the point where if I fail, if I fall, you know, I, 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 I've got a rule. I give myself 24 hours to feel as sorry for myself as I want, cry, do whatever it is, get it out. And in 24 hours, come up with a plan. What's next? You know, how are you going to get yourself out of this? How are you going to not make that same mistake? How are you going to move forward? Um, you know, so that's part of the things that helped allow me to learn. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's just allowed me to be a lot more appreciative of the things that do go well um, mm-hmm. in the rest of your life that we sometimes just overlook just because it's there and we take it for granted. Oh, yeah, I like that because it seems like the challenges are definitely the things that we can so easily focus on. And there's so many of these like sometimes maybe smaller wins or, you know, things that are we're success showing success with or doing they're going well that we we don't always pay attention to those things. We kind of focus on maybe what's not going right. So I, I love that. Like, so is that is that something that you've kind of trained yourself to do is to kind of shift the focus and your perspective to focus on? the things that are going right? You know, I, yeah, I think so. It's, you know, because I think for for so long, I, I, I would, when I was younger, get caught up in what was going wrong, be it, yeah. you know, living in a bad environment and, you know, why me and why can't I be that, that kid who lives over there and they don't have to deal with this stuff. And, yeah. and, you know, and I think the more I wasted time, you know, the way that I look at it now of asking why, I could have been using that time to do something to make a difference or to change something. And then, so now I stopped asking why, like I said, I give myself that 24 hours and, you know, it's, it's time to come up with a plan, you know, whatever that is and whatever the challenge is and, and then figure out how to move forward and how to appreciate, you know, the situation I'm in. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. We were talking earlier about, living in different countries as well. What countries have you lived in? Um, I've lived in the UK, so I was living in just outside of London. Um, I lived in the Philippines, in Manila, and I lived in the, the UAE and Dubai for a while. Okay. Yeah, and I guess the reason I thought of it just now is because this idea of, like, you, you seem like you're someone who is just trying to grab any experience you can and soak the most out of it. Like, were these opportunities to travel and to live in these other countries something that was presented to you, or did you seek this out for yourself? Um, I, I thought it out. You know, I, I didn't really travel um, internationally as a child at all or as a teenager, and I didn't really start traveling internationally until probably my early 30s for the first time. Okay. Uh, mid-30s, actually. I take that back. So mid-30s was the first time I had traveled outside of, say, Mexico or, or Canada. Um, and it was just something I was really wow. drawn to. And being a chef, it was, you know, I always told myself that, oh, I can get a job anywhere. It's a transferable skill, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever really thought I was going to do it. Um, and so the company that I worked with at the time had an opportunity in London. And um, I had just come off an amazing year at work and, you know, it was the top chef in my industry and, you know, getting tons of accolades and attention. And yeah. I said, you know what, if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. You know, I'm on people's radar. They're interested. Yeah. Let's, let's bite the bullet and let's try it. And so when I went to London, I actually didn't like it at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised. I had such high hopes of like, okay, I'm going to live in a national. I'm gonna yeah. And I 
didn't like it. Hmm. It was it was hard. I think it was just yeah. like a change and being away from home, you know, all your friends, all your routines. Um, and I got really different. close to just wanting to come back home. And then oh. I got another opportunity offered to me in the Philippines. Oh. And at the time, I was yeah, I was like, I'm not interested in going to the Philippines, but the weather in London is so bad. I'll go because <laughs> I need sun. So. I figured I'd just go and at least make Need a some warmth and sunshine. Oh. <laughs> exactly. So that led into getting the job there as, uh, you know, head chef uh, for the airline out there and stayed okay. almost three years and, and loved it. And, you know, so it's just, it was, it was just great experience and great opportunities, but you know, it didn't come without risk and it didn't come without, you know, first failure really. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not like you didn't know other people who were living in these countries at the time then did you, before no, you made the choice. All. Yeah. Yes. So that had to be, yeah, that has to be challenging to, I mean, I guess the language wasn't a barrier, I suppose, with either one of these countries, I suppose, but, um, no, not at all. Yeah. But the idea of just not knowing anyone and being willing to go through and have that experience, like what gave you the courage to do that? Was it, what, what drives you to, to do something like that? Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's something that I was really interested in doing. And um, I, I think the courage just came from the fact of, again, I'm not afraid to fail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and if it doesn't go well, I can always come home. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so understanding that, yes, I have this opportunity to do something that, you know, I never thought I would actually have the opportunity to do. And while it is terrifying and while it is very um, it, it, it's going to be challenging, mm-hmm. it was all worth taking that risk and taking that challenge to have that opportunity. Uh, and I'm just glad that I did. Yeah. I, I love it. It's yeah. You just, you seem to, I love the whole thing that, that being, not being afraid to fail and that you learned that young. And so you've been willing to just like put yourself out there and have these experiences. Um, yeah. And if you fail, and you fail. Is, I, yeah. And I failed a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So, you know, you're giving me all the good stories. There's a lot of those other stories where it's oh. Kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this again. Or why did I decide to do this? Or why did I do that? Um, and I think that's where I came up with the 24 hour rule because when you take risk, you do fail, you know, yeah. it's that, you know, get knocked down seven times, get up eight type of mentality. But there's been tons of failures in my life. Oh. So I don't want people to think that, oh, he's just been lucky and he's just been nailing it. No. <laughs> I've had some rock bottom, like questioning my existence types of fails. Oh but, my you know, goodness! Comes with the territory. Yeah. Okay. Would you Would you be able or willing to tell us about one of those that that you were oh, able man. to learn a lot from? <laughs> you know, there, like I said, there's so many. Um, let's see. Let me think of a really good one. Um, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times it was really professionally is where I had some of the biggest fails because, yeah. you know, I. I've always been a confident person and sometimes too confident. So I will put myself in situations where I'm reaching for the next thing. Um, And so I may not quite have the skill or knowledge needed in order to accomplish it yet. Yeah. But I believe in myself and figure that I can figure it out and and I'll eventually be successful. I just have to go through this uncomfortable period. Yeah. And there's been times that I've reached and totally missed the ring and fell on my face and couldn't do the job and couldn't keep up and, and, couldn't execute and, and, and literally get fired just because I can't. Yeah. Um, and just really just have to look at myself and be like, man, you totally bit it on that one. And literally, you know, I have this self dialogue that I have with myself. And when I fail that badly, 
I kind of can't do anything but laugh. It's like, <laughs> wow, you totally, you totally got out of your league on that one. Yeah. Really just kind of talk to myself through it and, and make it so that it's not something that's so negative, but it becomes a learning experience. And so, you know, go back to that drawing board and like, okay, you did that. You were able to get the job. So there's, okay, there's a plus. There's a good thing <laughs> right. there. But next time you need to know this, 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 and this before you try and get that job again. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, but you know what, like, it's, I love, you know, what you just said, because you said, talking about having a strong sense of confidence, and I love that, like, I, I wish, I want some of yours, can, like, I want to, like, you know, osmosis or whatever it is, be able to get some of that confidence to have, because I think that's so great, and even when you fail, you don't seem that, was your confidence shaken, or did, was there that inner confidence in yourself that was like, all right, I failed, but... I still got what it takes. Like, how how did that react? You know, there's been times where the confidence has totally been shaken. I mean, like, to the point where I question if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm in the right industry or or even if I even know what I'm doing. So I definitely have had those moments I think we all have. Yeah. Um, And that's where I came up with the 24-hour rule because I've been in times where, you know, you go down that that rabbit hole of self-doubt and it Mm -hmm. just continues to go and go and go. Mm -hmm. And so you can end up in a place where you're now convincing yourself that not only did you fail at that thing, but Mm -hmm. you're even lucky to even be there. Right. you know, you've got to, we we all have to be really careful with if when we do do get in those spaces to understand that that's that moment. And I think, you know, going back to the racing and things like that, it's helped put perspective on those situations when it does get like that, where I can be like, you know what, that really sucks. I'm going to sit up here and lick my wounds for mm-hmm. the next 24 hours or whatever. I'm going to sit and eat a, you know, a gallon of ice cream. I'm going <laughs> to watch TV, whatever it is right. going to get you through it. But make a deal with yourself that at the end of that time, you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. And so I've totally been in that spot where, I totally just questioned and it's like, you know, I had, and I had one year that was really bad in the sense that it's like, I went from failure to failure to failure to mm, failure. Yeah. And so my self-talk at the time was when one thing failed or one thing didn't work out, I would always say, you know what? Can't get any worse. Yeah. And then it would get worse. Yeah. And I was like, it can't get any worse. And it got worse. And I'm like, you know what? I'm never saying that again. Right. Forget that <laughs> it phrase. It can always be worse. So, <laughs> so I'm never using that line again. Yeah. So I dropped that one out of my vocabulary. Yeah. yeah it's it definitely, I have had those times, but, you know, it's always, it's never lasts too long. And fortunately, you know, I think I do have a level of confidence and just, you know, resilience really. Yes. That I'm, you yes. Know, I know that I want this thing that I'm pursuing more than I'm afraid of failing at it again. Right. And like one failure, like a failure doesn't make you a failure. A failure means you failed at that thing. You know what I mean? I think sometimes people can start to make it about themselves rather than with what they failed at at that moment or the mistake that we make. Because we all make mistakes. And that's that's essentially how we yeah. learn. And so having, exactly. you know, kind of getting through that fear of failing or making a mistake um, just allows us to continue to grow. And that's what is always just kind of – I found so interesting and fascinating about you is that you just seem to be someone who is just looking to learn and to grow and to soak up so much of life. And, you know, like, I know you've got the big race coming up, um, but what are, what are you trying to learn and grow in this next couple months or in this next year? You know, it's funny that you asked that. I have this rule with myself and ever since I was about 25 or 26, I try to learn something new every year. Yeah. And so I try and go through 
things that I know, things that I'm interested in. And so, you know, last year I, you know, went over to Stanford, you know, I lived in the Bay, I live in the Bay Area, so I took mm-hmm. some classes there to just get better at what I'm doing. Um, you know, this year with all the racing, it's been challenging. But for me, I'm, I'm an okay swimmer. I need to be a better swimmer. So this ah. year it's going to be a lot of focus on being a much better swimmer because um, it'll help me in the race. But at the same time, it's on that list of things that, I want to invest in myself and I want to continue to learn. So this year is really about spending a lot of time in the water. Um, and at the same time, at 25, what really kind of started that learning something new is yeah. I didn't want to get to the point in my life where I would say I can't and mm-hmm. fill in the blank. I can't do this or I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so while we all have these limitations, you know, and there's things that I can't do, I wanted to give myself the opportunity to say, okay, I can, but check with me next year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Do you have like, do you think ahead? Like, do you have things like, okay, this, I kind of want to get to this eventually. I, like, do you have some other things like that you're planning for the future? <laughs> or do you just take it a year you at know, a time? I, sometimes I, it depends on the year. Like this year, you know, um, getting married this year. Yeah. Race, so it's kind of, everything's just occupying my time. So. Yeah. But normally, yeah, I usually have a list of a few things, you know, wanted to learn how to scuba dive, you know, um, you know, do the skydiving thing, you know, wanted to take additional classes. I wanted to get back into photography. Mm. So just different things like that. So I do, you know, every so often put together a list and it'll last me two or three years until I get to those things. Yeah. And then I'll create another list. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah. Cause I just think those are the people I just really enjoy talking to are right? people who are always just learning and growing because there's so many opportunities and so many possibilities and it can be I think sometimes life people can feel that you know there's just one route that I can go and I don't have time for it can be overwhelming right and so yeah just um, taking even a few minutes each day to try to learn something new or to do something different or I think you mentioned perspective earlier and just like how important you know our perspective is that we're looking at life through and the lens that we're looking through and um, yeah, I'm just really inspired by the perspective and the mindset that you have. Um, yeah, it's just really fun getting to talk to you and hearing all the things that you're up to. And I cannot wait okay. to see how you're, it, when is the race? Team Onyx. And it is yeah. in September. It, the race is, yeah, the race is in September and it, it's turning into be a pretty big deal. They're actually... Amazon Prime is going to turn it into a 10-part series. What? So it will be, yeah, you'll be able to stream it on okay. Amazon Prime uh, sometime in 2020. So, but it's like, between now and then, it'll probably be like a media lockout. So I probably won't be able to tell you anything until you see it on TV. Okay, we're going to have to keep our eyes peeled for that. And <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Cliff. I have so enjoyed talking to you and wishing you like all the best on all the things that you have coming up in the future, your your marriage and or your wedding, I should say, and uh, and this race, you've got a lot of exciting things coming up, and I'm I'm really excited for you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. I don't know about you, but I found myself in awe of all of the things that Cliff had accomplished and done in his life. I think I was fangirling there for a bit, <laughs> so I was grateful that he was humble enough to remind me that there was a lot of failures that he went through in order to build up his sense of resilience and build his confidence. It was interesting to hear him talk about his 24-hour rule. The main thing I like about it is that he says he lets himself feel all the feelings. He cries if he needs to, he eats the ice cream, he just gives himself an opportunity to let out those feelings. 
and then he goes back to the drawing board rather than dwelling on the whys and getting caught up in a cycle of feeling sorry for himself. So I found that really interesting and I'm sure everyone's time period is going to be a little different and maybe we'll have our our, uh, moments in a different way, but I, I really like the intention behind that and found that, you know, his mindset and his perspective on life is just something I really admire. Um, I love what he had to say about focusing on the things that are going well. Perspective and the lens we look at life through is so powerful. And in talking to him, I felt that he's very intentional about what he chooses to focus on, where he places his time and his energy and his attention. And that can just have such a powerful shift within our, within our bodies and with our minds. And let's just talk about this eco challenge for a moment. What in the world? How cool, crazy, and inspiring is this? It's almost something I, I can't wrap my mind around. So I will definitely be checking out the Amazon Prime series when it comes out. And I will be cheering for Team Onyx. Um, I know he said he's going to be sharing a link to uh, their social media. So I'll be sharing that on my, on my website and in the show notes. So check there for a link to that. And I just, I love his message and motivation behind creating this team because representation is so important. So I'm excited for Cliff and for Team Onyx. What about you? What did you find yourself thinking about and reflecting on after listening to this episode? Please share on my website at MaureenRyan.co or on my Instagram page, Maureen underscore Ryan underscore. And if you haven't already, join the Becoming Aligned private Facebook community where we'll keep the conversation going. It's for those who are ready to say no to people-pleasing and perfectionism and saying yes to rediscovering what lights them up. So I hope you'll join me there. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to chatting with you next time. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becoming Aligned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Becoming Aligned and rate and review this podcast. I'm Maureen Ryan, and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.